All right, guys, welcome back to the Pursuit of Property podcast. Kate and I are super pumped to be bringing the 81st episode to you guys back with more hands-on tutorials on how to make money. Kate, how are you, brother? I'm doing good. I'm excited for this episode. I think it's a really good follow-up to one of our episodes way back. I think it was episode 37. Um, it's actually a prequel to our episode 37 way back when, which was how to handle your first appointment. I think today's episode will be really, really helpful for those investors out there, especially in a market like this, on what types of conversations we should be having with leads and prospects, what we should be be saying, how we should be saying it. So I'm doing good, my man. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Yeah, on top of episode 37, we had another episode about the blueprint to follow up. And yes. I think that this does a really good job of giving you what to say, not just when to say it. So hopefully between episode 37, episode 81, and I believe it was something in the 50s uh, for the follow-up, I think we've given pretty much a exact tutorial on how to handle new leads. Yes, 1000%. So I think this will be good, especially for those listening after this episode's out, you know, to have these three episodes is kind of a, a blueprint, right? right? How to qualify leads, how to follow up with them, and then boom, how to handle that first appointment and get that shit locked up. Absolutely. So we're going to start with marketing. The reason why this is important is because lead qualification comes in two different forms. Uh, one comes from outbound leads and one comes from inbound leads. I guess it's not two different forms, but it's two different processes. So if you're in the investing market, you're probably already aware of marketing um, methods. So we're just going to cover them quickly. Inbound marketing means that there is some level in which the client reached out to you or the prospect reached out to your company, right? Uh, the ones that we wrote down just briefly were mail, SEO, search engine optimization, Google ads, social media, and sign calls. Those are just a couple of them. Any other ones that you can think Only of? Only other one I can think of is referrals, right? Or repeat business. Somebody you've done a deal with in the past, they are yeah. again then reaching out to you when they have another property or they've referred you uh, to another seller or something like that. So I think that covers pretty much all of our typical inbound stuff. Yeah. Right and, the, and the reason why you, wanna, you want to delineate outbound versus inbound is because inbound marketing uh, is a little warmer off the bat. Yes. So you need to not drag your feet when you have an inbound lead. Inbound leads require a little bit more uh, time sensitivity. Uh, you want to answer more questions up front. Whereas an outbound lead, sometimes they require more nurturing and thus you have a little bit more time to handle that, right? Yeah. And, you know, not to glance over kind of the, the common sense there though is, you know, Inbound leads, why are they a little bit warmer? Why are, are they a little bit higher quality? And it's because whether you're sending these people postcards or they're going to find you on their website or they are the ones giving you a call, right? There is some part of motivation on their part to be reaching out to you. They have to take the action to reach out to you, right? Which makes it again, like you mentioned, a little bit warmer of a lead as opposed to what we'll get into outbound leads um, and a little bit higher quality in most cases. Right. Well, let's just jump into outbound then. So outbound leads, like we said, they're a little colder. Outbound is simply anything that you reach out to them for, right? So the most uh, notable ones that we know of, cold calling and texting. Yep. Other ones might be door knocking. Um, anything else you could think of? 
pretty much door knocking. I mean, if you're going out driving for dollars, throwing up, you know, some door hangers on there or yeah, pretty much anything that falls under that category, but primary ones, cold calling, maybe secondary one would be texting. Yeah. An easy way to know which, which form it is, is who initiated the conversation. Did you receive a phone call or did they start the conversation with you or did you start with them? knowing that you work different routes. Yeah, absolutely. And outbound calls, you know, again, the inverse, if inbound leads are traditionally a little bit better quality and a little warmer, outbound leads are going to be a little colder, a little less quality and take a little bit more work, right? And, you know, again, kind of a common sense thing to think about here is the reason, one of the reasons why that is, think about how you feel when, you get a cold call, right? From a telemarketer or, you know, a spam number, right? I guarantee you 99% of people don't like taking those calls, right? So it takes a little bit more work. There's a bigger hump and a bigger challenge to get over to get those leads across the finish line and warmed up. No, I'm 100% with you. Now, one of the things I wanted to talk about first is in the initial conversation that you have for outbound marketing mm-hmm. are the pillars, right? Yeah. So there's a lot of goals in your first conversation. Your top priority is figuring out the four pillars. If you're not familiar with the four pillars, I believe it's four pillars of, uh, I wrote it down, I thought, four pillars of sales success or something along those lines, yeah. commonly referred to as the pillars. It's price, condition, timeline, motivation. On your first initial call on an outbound marketing prospect is to figure out, do they have any of those pillars? If a lead does not have any of those pillars, they're not going to sell you their home and they're not going to sell you their home at a discount, right? So, And they're not going to be a lead. Right. You're not going to continue the conversation. Mm-hmm. You can maybe refer them to other services or be a resource because at the end of the day, we're all real estate professionals. But if they're not hitting at least a couple of those pillars, just note that's probably not a lead. Yeah. So running back over that price, number one is do they know what they want to sell the home for? The reason why is because depending on who you are in this business, you could be a realtor, you could be a lender, you could be an investor. If you know the price, you can at least start to get an idea of how motivated they are or how much they've thought about this. If they have no price, they probably haven't put any thought into it, right? Because how would you go sell your truck if you don't know even what a truck is worth? Nobody's going to sell it without knowing what it's worth. If they at least have a price, they've at least done a little bit of research. Yeah. In my opinion, I would put prices probably out of these four pillars, probably the second most important in my opinion. Yeah. Um, second only to one of the ones we'll get later on. Um, but it's important to, um, we've spent a lot of time refining our script for our outbound calling. Yeah, we've had to. And one of the most important things when we get to this price pillar in our script, we always, always, always try to get the prospect to give us a price first, right? We never like to be, excuse me, we never like to be the ones to give out a price first, right? We always want to pull that out from that prospect or from that lead, right? Additionally, it's hard for us to give a price exactly first because likely we don't know the condition <laughs> and the environment in which we're buying, right? So hard for us to know what the value is. They've owned the property. Likely they have a better idea of what it's worth than we do on the first bat. 
Yeah. And the important thing here for a lot of these pillars is there are ways to ask these questions in different ways, right? You had mentioned just yesterday or earlier this week where you had a call where you asked, had to ask the prospect eight different times if they had a price in mind, right? First time he didn't give you a price. You asked it a second time in a little bit different way. Yeah, let no me, price. Let me see if I can think of what I said. So if you if you remember back to the Never Split the Difference book review, talked about open ended questions. He called them. Um, uh, uh, I can't remember. He has a term for them. It doesn't matter. They're open ended questions using what and how. Mm-hmm. One of the ways that I ask Price is. Uh, did you have a ballpark in mind for the property? And then how much were you hoping to take home from the sale? Uh, what, uh, what price point were you hoping to be in? Um, there's a couple other ones that we, what do you think the home's worth? What do you think the home's, yeah. What do you think the home's worth? Um, I, I'm trying to remember. I, I don't know why I'm blanking this morning. Regardless, asking questions that are not um, super forward or aggressive about yeah. price, like don't ask somebody, how much are you selling the home for? That just, it, it always comes off as aggressive and likely they're going to give you their highest price, right? Right yeah. there. By asking more motivational questions like, how much were you hoping to make? Where was that money going? Those kinds of questions help understand what problem the seller is trying to solve. Right. Absolutely. And being able to ask that question in a different way, instead of asking, I I guarantee you, if you had asked the prospect eight times in a row, did you have a price in mind? They'd start to get pissed off. Right. Right. So it's a way to maneuver the conversation away, lead the conversation in a way to try and pull that price pillar out of the lead. Yeah. So price is number two. I think you're, I think you're correct on that. Let's go straight to number one. Yes. Since this is what the most important part of an outbound call should be mm-hmm. is finding motivation. Motivation is the key to investor success. Not every seller has the right motivation to sell for a discount. Sellers have different goals in mind, right? The seller who's not in a rush to sell, who can financially afford their home, the home's in good condition and can go on the market and be sold to maybe a first-time home buyer or you know owner-occupants. That person isn't the right fit, and it's important that you know that up front so you don't waste all your time talking to that lead who's eventually really going to have to go list the home to get what they want. Absolutely. And motivation being the most important pillar because it really just tells us the why, right? It answers the why on why a prospect may want to sell a property at you know, a distressed property at a significant discount, right? Some things that fall in into here are, you know, maybe the home is in pre foreclosure and the motivation there is to put a little money in their pocket before it goes to foreclosure and goes to auction and they don't make anything right. Mm -hmm. Other motivators could be divorce. Other motivators could be an inherited unwanted property from a parent who passed away and it's now the children's responsibility Mm -hmm. to deal with it. Could be Um, retirement. Retirement. Retiring landlords is a big, big group of people who we have done a lot of business with over the past couple of years. So motivation, explaining the why behind everything, right? Because uh, I remember when I remember even thinking this when I first got started and, and hearing about 
how an investment deal works. Like, why would anyone in their right mind ever sell a property for less than market value, right? And we hear that all the time from people do, who ask us, what, yeah. why are these people, <laughs> who would ever want to sell their property for less than what it's worth? But price is not always the most important determining factor in a homeowner's mind. Yeah. I mean, Kayla, to this day, still sometimes goes, why did they sell you that home for that price? And, I, you know, for example, let's talk about that West deal that we did the yes. whole podcast series on. Yeah. That seller didn't want the condo. He was accidentally made owner of the condo. He had bought it for a family member who didn't perform. Well, to him, he wasn't in it to make a ton of cash. He wanted to be done. It was like emotional distress. And he knew he was selling it for a discount, right? That's why people sell it to you for a discount. They have some underlying motivation, let's call it a problem, that money can solve. And a lot of the times, there's plenty of people who that's not their only nickel, you know? And so motivation's key. If you're on your first call, if you don't get motivation, you failed. That's, that's pretty much the key point. The other two are more just factual, mm -hmm. timeline and condition. Um, timeline is important because you need to understand how hot this lead is. If they say 12 months plus, yeah, they could be a lead, but you know, you don't need to call them today and then tomorrow and the next day. If they say that they need to sell their home, uh, cause it goes to auction next week, you need to call them every hour on the hour, right? So it defines how quickly you need to follow up. Mm -hmm. And then finally condition helps decide what other problems we have to solve real estate wise, not personally, but within the home. Exactly. And condition being one of those where, you know, the more distress a property has, the worse condition that it's in usually means that's, that's a higher leverage point for us, right? It, it, it's in our favor in our negotiating tactic, because when a property is run down to absolute crap, you know, it, it gives us a little bit of leverage there in negotiating power when we're trying to put a deal together. Yeah, usually the sellers have put themselves in a position where they can't go sell it on the open market for exactly. more. Exactly. You know, which is usually what we offer. As realtors, we offer, you know, we could list it for you or help you, you know, by buying it direct. Yep, yep. The other stuff we talked about, and again, this is your first call on an outbound marketing. If somebody calls you, you're done. You essentially, you've gotten what you need with those pillars. If you're making outbound phone calls, this next step is super important. It's confirming contact information. Yes. You know, if you're calling a lot of people, it's pretty easy for somebody to get lost, you know, in, in all the chaos that is outbound marketing. So confirming that you're talking to the owner, confirming that you have the correct number to talk to in the future and uh, making sure that you understand um, you know, is the property vacant? Is it occupied? Things of that sort. So that way, when you have your file put together, you know who you're talking to, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, like you mentioned, the, the goal of this call, the, your very first outbound qualification call, right? Figure out how many of the four pillars, if any, this prospect has. And then if there are pillars being hit and there is worth time putting it in your system for follow-up, making sure you have the right contact info, making sure you've discovered, you know, all of this information, one of them also being 
one of the big things people also glance over is figuring out what is the occupancy status of the property? Is it vacant? Is there a rental, right? Kind of that series of questions we go through when we're hitting those pillars. So I know we talked about it. We've spent, like I said, a lot of time refining our script. If anybody out there listening or watching wants a copy of our script or wants any scripting practice, I know we were talking about feel free reach out to us we'd be more than happy to share that i think we've got a pretty good pretty good script going right now um and like you mentioned the most important thing after that schedule the time that you can follow up with the lead yeah right say you know is there a best time to reach you at or can i give you a call tomorrow at 5 p.m or you know, the next day at 10 a.m., right? Make sure you set expectations for that follow-up call. One of the most important pieces that can be easily looked over at the end of that first call. Yeah. So overall, that initial outbound call is important because you're figuring out essentially the baseline level of this person. And from there, you're deciding what your follow-up is and you can reference the follow-up blueprint episode Um you know, to figure out how we delineate who mm-hmm. we call in what order. Yep. So let's move to kind of the, the second qualification call, right? So at least with the way things are structured now for us is, you know, whether it's you yourself or a VA or somebody else making that first initial qualification call, usually there's going to be a second qualification call right after, right? And for us, it's after one of our VAs makes that first initial qualification. It then comes to us or someone on our team to make that second qualification call, right? For inbound leads, there's usually not a second qualification call. You usually get all of that information on the first on that first qualification call, right? A little bit of a difference again between that inbound and outbound. But the goal for this second qualification call, right, is just to hammer in and establish as much rapport as you can and continue to do fact finding and learning more about the seller's situation. Yeah, I think we brushed over a little bit the difference. The initial call The reason why there's a difference with outbound is because your initial call is just discovery. Your second call is more like uh, uh, repeating the first call because you want to make sure that you actually do have the right info. Mm -hmm. When somebody calls you, like you had mentioned, they initially have more motivation and more, you know, reason to be talking to you. This second call is to confirm that like, hey, did we get that right? And that's one of the lines in our script is, hey, it sounds like you want to sell this property on 123 Main Street. Do we get that right? Because at the end of the day, you know, we're all human and we can make a mistake. We could have heard something wrong. And our goal is not to talk to people who don't want to sell. We're, our goal is to get to the people who want to sell as quickly as possible. And so the way that you do it with inbound is different. And you said something really important there that I'll hammer in before we go into this is one of the things that I struggled with. And I remember Stratton being the one hammering it. Our, our friend and investor Stratton Brown hammering this into me was don't waste your time on leads who are not qualified and not motivated, right? If leads are not hitting these pillars, 
and they're not motivated, do not waste your time on follow-up. Do not waste your time on more phone calls. Brush them by and go find the more qualified leads. It can be an easy problem to fall into, especially if you're new and you're wanting to push leads into your spreadsheet or into your CRM to look like you've got things in there, but only spend your time following up with and calling qualified leads. You know what's funny is the Martinez team at Iron Key, they used to always tell me that they like deleting leads from their CRM because it means that they're getting closer to the people who are going to buy. I so love they that. always said they actually enjoy deleting bad leads because they know that that got rid of tasks that they don't have to do anymore because that person wasn't going to buy or sell. So Dude. two different groups yeah. who do a lot of business who, who mentioned that. Yep. So second qualification call. If this is your first time talking to somebody um, because it's an inbound lead or this is your second time your team has talked to this this person because your VA talked to them or you would talk to them just for initial <clears throat> fact finding. Your key is to develop rapport and become recognizable. That's the simple solution, right? These people, you know, being, you know, motivated sellers, they're getting calls from other people. They're getting mail from other people because all the time every investor knows who sells homes for discounts, right? So you need to be the guy that stands above the crowd. That requires professionalism, friendliness, courtesy. You have to have some kind of personal connection with this person. And you have to be on time. Like you have to be quick. Everything in this business is about calling at the right moment. Yeah, I think in addition to, you know, timing being one of the most important things for, you know, lining things up and putting a deal together is rapport, right? We've talked about it before on, you know, a couple of these episodes is sellers are going to work with the person that they trust like the most, right? Trust and like the most. If you are building rapport, if you are relating to the seller on other levels outside of just the property, right? And I think what's important, I don't remember what episode we talked about it, but I remember the conversation clearly is I think it was actually on your first appointment. Don't be fake and don't try to build like artificial rapport. Yeah. Right? Don't flatter people. Don't lie no. about what you appreciate. <laughs> the rapport has got to be natural. It's got to be a natural progression and it's got to be legit, right? It's got to be authentic. So if, and that can be a, pro- a, a problem that, you know, early investors struggle with, right? But you've got to find a way to relate to the seller on a personal level and build that rapport. Yeah. I mean, if you want, so there's that stigma about used car salesmen and I don't believe that everybody ever used car salesman is bad, but that stigma that we all hold in our head of that, it's because the used car salesman uses flattery and imitation and is super artificial about their appreciation. The really good salespeople just really like people, right? And they get along with the seller because they actually appreciate things about the seller and they have a genuine sense of, I want to get to know you better, right? That's the difference between the used car salesman feel and the successful salesman, right? And at the end of the day, your second phone call should be working to develop that true appreciation for that person inside and outside of this real estate transaction, whatever they're dealing with with this home, right? They still have a whole personality outside of selling 123 Main Street. And if you become the person who can connect with Joe Schmo selling 123 Main Street, 
you're going to probably get that deal better than the person who might offer a slightly better price, but is super artificial and super transactional, right? Yeah, you've got to think of the seller not just as a seller. It's a person on the other end of the transaction, right? It's not just a seller who owns a home. They've got a story and they've got a whole other host of things that they are not only just a seller, they're a person. And as soon as you make that kind of shift in your conversations and in your rapport building, I think the more success you'll find with relating to sellers and putting deals together. Right. And when it comes to putting deals together, if you can understand that seller's worldview, you can help navigate them to the best decision within their worldview. If their goal is to get out of the home and have peace, Well, you and I as realtors both know that a real estate sale on the open market is not peaceful. I mean, even the best ways, there's still more stress than a cash offer. And if that seller has that where they need to just have peace and the price works for them, why wouldn't they go that route? And they might have that anxiety that, well, I might be leaving on the money on the table. And it's easy because you can tell them, yeah, you're leaving some cash on the table. Obviously, I'm making money on this as an investor, but... When you and I talked, it sounded like you're already dealing with all this other stuff. And it sounded like your main motivation was not the highest price when you first talked to me. It was about getting this price and having it guaranteed. Is that what your family wants? This is the way you do that. If you want to get most, we can put you on the market. You know, worldview is important. Yeah, I love all that stuff you you just hit on because it it covers a lot of the stuff that we have in these next bullet points talking about the situation those things you just said at the end asking the open-ended questions about all of those pillars from the initial call right an example asking that what question what's pushing you to sell before christmas right or before x date right where are you going next, right? Asking that open-ended questions. And then also something we've talked about, practicing labeling. You know, it sounds like, it seems like. It looks like. Right? Practicing those labels and repeating back to the seller what they're expressing to you. That way they feel understood and that you are on the same level as them. I think those, those two tactics right there are tactics we use it uh, across every the board conversation. Yeah, every single conversation because it makes the lead feel understood yeah especially on on these conversations with sellers who are you know in probably not the best spot you know if you're if you're selling your home for a discount there's usually something going on it's it's very rarely just that you're lazy um but they're not going to tell you all the information up front. I mean, <laughs> do you tell everybody your secrets just like that? No, you have to become their friend and they have to trust that like you're not going to take advantage of their situation. They need to know that they're being listened to. So when you ask that question, what's important, you know, about someone before Christmas, what if they tell you that they're in foreclosure and you didn't know that? Or what if they say that they have, you know, medical bills that are piling up that they have to get paid off before the end of the year? Who knows what it could be? But asking these questions in the second call, after building more rapport, having that, you know, already familiar name because you already had talked to them once, that's going to help you get the information needed to help you solve problems and make a deal. Yeah. And like we've said before, again, on on almost all of these calls, with very little exceptions, the lead, the seller, the prospect should be doing the majority of the talking, no questions asked 
right? You as the investor should be asking these open-ended questions, practicing labeling, but you should be sit, you know, doing your open-ended question or doing your label and then sitting back and shutting up and, yep. and, and listening, right? Being an active listener. So I'm going to hop into one thing that is really, really important that a lot of people forget is figuring out if there's another decision maker for the sale of the property. And the reason we want to get that info out now on this second call, or maybe even the first call, is you don't want to be putting in all this work to the end of the line. You're ready to put together a signed contract and the seller goes, Hey, my brother's on title with me and my brother's not, you know, he, he doesn't like this price, right? Or because some people are going to say, well, I'm already going to know that I can research title. What if it's an estate and these are beneficiaries? You never know if it's somebody who's not named on title, but still has a say. Exactly. And that's the most important thing, right? The person doesn't have to be on title to be a decision maker, right? If it's an older seller, it could be a trusted caregiver, right? Or a trusted friend, even if it's not an older child. Exactly. A child, a trusted friend. They may not be on title, but they are, their opinion matters to the seller, right? So figuring out if there's more than one decision maker, even if they don't own the home, even if they're not on title with the seller is going to be really important and especially figuring that out early on so you can approach that in the right way instead of letting it get closer and closer and more time more time being put in just for the deal to potentially fall apart yeah so i mean that's really key and that's all about fact finding you're never going to ask that question on your first call (laughs) outbound if somebody calls you and you're dealing with an inbound, you might bring it up and say, hey, yeah. it sounds like you're interested in really selling. Is there anybody else helping you make the decision? You know, that's key. Um, but that if you don't ask it by your second conversation, you're setting yourself up for potentially wasting a ton of time. Um, one of the other things we put in here, confirm timeline. Uh, sometimes somebody will lie to you about how motivated they are, both directions. One mm-hmm. person might sell, say, I need to sell ASAP. Other people might say, I need to sell in a year. And then it might be swapped. The person who said a year might actually need to sell now based off their situation. Like, for example, in our market with a declining market, they might have a price that's reasonable today, but maybe in three months, it's not going to be reasonable. Well, you know, that's important to know when you talk to them, what's pushing them to sell. If it's price in this market, you want to sell sooner rather than later. If it was two years ago, you might be able to sit on it and see the market go up, right? Um, So confirm timeline, it will help you on the back end decide how hot and motivated this lead is. Yeah. And to wrap, to get close to wrapping things up on this second qualification call is one of the, one of your goals should be to make the lead, make the seller always feel understood and appreciated, right? And one way you can get affirmation that you are doing that is to get, you know, a phrase that's right or something similar from the seller, right? And I think asking or uh, excuse me, not asking the open-ended questions, but practicing those labels is a great way to make sure you're on the right track and to, you know, pull that that's right phrase from the seller, right? Because if the seller, if you're repeating back to the seller, their thoughts, their feelings, their situation, and they're affirming that you are on the right track, 
you know that they're you're making them feel understood and appreciated. So right. get, getting that out of a seller is really, really important and makes you know you are on the right track. Yeah, and if you can get them to that's right, you now know, okay, at least I understand the situation. Whether or not you can solve it is different, but mm-hmm. if you can understand their situation, you're one step closer to getting a deal. The next follow-up when you get a that's right is obviously, now that I know your your problem, and I believe I can solve your problem, how can I meet you at the house? We want to get you in front of the house uh, and we want to get you in front of the seller in that second call. Um, The goal here is that sometimes information can't be found out without being in front of them, right? Some sellers, you need to just get in front of to hear the real story. And if you're struggling to get a that's right, I would say that's even more of a reason to really want to have to get in front of that person Mm because maybe they're not comfortable telling you until they meet you. Also, you still need to verify condition. You need to verify um, property uh, information such as bedroom, bathroom counts. You want to see the neighborhood. You need to check that the roof isn't leaking, that kind of stuff. So your next step, set the appointment on that call. Yeah, and especially, this is really important too. You, you don't want the lead basically to be in no man's land or fall into limbo, right? When you are trying to, you know, get your goal is to put a deal together, right? And more often than not, you're going to need to go out to the property and meet the seller in order to do that, right? So having that goal of setting the appointment, setting a time to go and meet the seller out there to get your photos, get your video, continue to build rapport, do all of those things is going to be important. Yeah. Again, you know, if you're struggling to set the appointment, explain the purpose of it. Hey, in order for us to get you our best offer, we really like to see the home. It's really hard for us in this market to predict what the home's condition might be and what we could afford to pay you reasonably. And we're in the business of giving you our best offer first. If it's possible, we'd love to just meet you at the property. When's better? Tomorrow at two, or I can meet you even today at one o'clock. And also important adding onto that note is when the day comes to the appointment and not even the day day before starting the day before and then also the day of confirming and reconfirming the appointment especially if it's a little bit of a drive um, if it's a little bit out of you know your home market confirming that can save you a whole host of time i know we've both made that mistake and have not made it again right we always want to confirm we always want to double check triple check that that appointment time still works for the seller and you're still good to go the goal there being you're not making a drive or you're not going and and wasting your time right yeah okay well i mean I don't know if scripting this would be worth it on this episode. I think if you're interested in hearing how we handle these conversations, we're we're totally open books. Yep. Uh, we hold team meetings that you could come sit in on. You can come listen to us call and talk to sellers. Totally up to you. We have scripts that we're able to provide to help you guys in aiding your conversations with sellers. But if at this point you're feeling confident about it, uh, you're going to set your next appointment in the next couple of days. So go tune in to episode 37, how to handle your first appointment. And, uh, you know, call us if you have any questions. Absolutely. Thank you guys for tuning in to episode 81. We are in, we are past the eighties. We are fastly approaching 100. I'm excited for it. So we will see you guys next week. Thanks again for tuning in to the pursuit of property podcast. Mm-hmm.